Well, good morning. This morning we will continue our look through Paul's letter to the Philippians. I'll be reading uh, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. I believe that's behind me. Um, So it is with joy I would ask if you are able to please rise in honor of the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, starting in verse 2. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true champion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, and by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the end of the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. I'm Dan Seal, one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our study in Philippians, and we've come to chapter 4, which is one of my favorite and one of the most beautiful and rich passages uh, for us to consider. This whole book has been reminding us of the need for joy, and that joy being rooted and founded in Christ through our union and our communion with Him, that we are then transformed as people who can live differently in this world. And even in this passage, as Paul commands us to not be anxious, he commands us to be gentle, he entreats us to be peacemakers, and to think about godly, holy things and live godly lives. It sounds so counter to the days we're living in, doesn't it? To be gentle, to be joyful, to be one who's a reconciler. And yet Paul believes that this is how the mind of Christ is lived out in us and through us. And so we have a challenge this morning. Paul will come with a rapid-fire series of commands for us, for the church. And they might seem like they're just kind of out of the blue, but I want to tell you they're Really, Paul has kind of finished the body of his argument, his persuasion that you need to live a beautiful life that adorns the gospel. And you can do that as you take on the very mind of Christ who himself humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he might be raised and given the name above every name. Now, Paul, at the end of his sermon, says, all right, you you still aren't sure what that should look like? I'm going to give you some commands. I'm going to give you some application points. So this morning, in particular, we're going to feel the pressure of the Word of God saying, this is how you should live. 
but it has to continue to be rooted in the finished and completed work of Christ for us. Because he's taken hold of us, we therefore can now run in freedom and obedience. So let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, help us as we think about this passage that we would see how we might be able to have and live peaceful lives in our relationships and in our circumstances and in our inward thoughts and being. But we need you by the power of your spirit to bring home the reality of the transformation that takes place in us when we receive Jesus by faith and become new people so that we can then live new lives, lives that resemble Christ our Savior. That's in his name we pray. Amen. Anyone else here want to get their name in the Guinness Book of World Records? As a kid, I'd go and every year go to the library, I'd look at the different records and think, all right, what could I do? Now, because I love basketball, most of them centered around what could I do in basketball that could somehow get me at least in that edition of the Guinness Book of World Records, knowing that another one would come out the next year and I might you know, get usurped. But sadly, it's not there. I know you all have been looking, but it's not in the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, what about you? Would you want your name in a record book? Would you want your name in a book for eternity for something you did wrong? We talked about that this week, and a couple of people were like, yeah, I don't care. I want my name in there. I'm like, no, no, not for something wrong. I'd rather not have my name in there. Well, it, it's unique, not not the only time, but one of the few times that Paul actually names names and calls out to church members. Now, we have to go back and remember the way the letter would have come. Epaphroditus would have brought Paul's letter back to the church, and they would have been excited. Oh, Paul's written us a letter. You know, the excitement when you open up the mailbox and you see a letter from a friend that you, you get to catch up and see what's going on in life. And so they start reading the letter and it starts out great. You know, church, I love you. Then this partnership, the gospel we have, and I love you with the affection of Jesus. And I want you to live like Jesus and think, have the mind of Jesus. And you're getting to chapter four. Now they're, you know, they're sitting around, they're listening to the whole letter being read at one time and you know, I'm sure it doesn't happen to you, but their mind begins to wander, you know, as the, the letter and the preaching goes on. Then all of a sudden, you hear your name. You're like, <laughs> what? So Eudea and Syntyche hear their name, and it's, I entreat, I beg, these two ladies, leaders in the church, who were probably from the beginning, and he, he gives them great honor. Like, I want you to understand this. These women were fellow gospel workers. Okay, these aren't just People in the church are causing some problems. These were leaders who love to share the hope of the gospel in Jesus, whose names are written in the book of life. And Paul says, hey, church, in particular, true companion, yoke fellow, uh, different translations. He's then asking somebody else, I want you to help them reconcile. Because their struggle is probably having a ripple effect in the church. And so he names them. I mean, imagine if you came to me this week and shared a conflict you were having with somebody, and this morning I said, hey, I just want to tell you that so-and-so and so-and-so, I need you to help them get together. I think some of you might leave the church if I did that, right? Like, I'm not going back there. And yet here's their name for eternity. And yet Paul, very interestingly, doesn't say what the issue is. And Paul doesn't appear to take sides. And 
He doesn't tell them how to resolve it, but says, in the Lord, and to agree in the Lord. What's going on here? So, if you were with us last week, you remember at the end of the chapter, verse of the end of the section, chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. And that image was being together, united, arm in arm, shield to shield, fighting for the sake of the gospel. Now, you want to know what that looks like, church? Let me give you a practical example. And so he says, I need you to see Judea and Syntyche be reconciled to agree in the Lord. Now that word, what you're probably saying, what's it mean to agree in the Lord? Well, that word is the same word Paul uses in chapter 2, verse 5. If you have your Bibles, look back at it, because I want you to see the context. So Paul has just commanded them, I want you to make my joy complete, this theme throughout the whole book. And you're going to make my joy complete by not being selfish, but putting others' needs first looking to their needs first. So how do we do that? How do we become selfish and humble? We'll look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind is the same phrase as agree in the Lord. So again, Paul's making an application. What's it look like to have the same mind of Jesus? It's to agree in the Lord. Now he's not saying just fake it. Ross talked about peace faking. It's not just to put a smile on and still underneath, inside, kind of have resentment and frustration and knowing you're right. Here he's saying, look, y'all have a difference. We don't know if it's a personal difference. We don't know if it's a doctrinal difference. We don't know if it's an ethical difference. We don't know if it's a preference difference. We don't know. And I think that is a gift of God. Therefore, we can apply it to any possible differences and tensions we may have. And he says, I want you to agree in the Lord. So what he's saying is, I want you to come back and understand you are in the Lord. She and both of them are in the Lord. They're partners. We have something. And it's hard to be proud and take the moral high ground when you're reminded your name is written in the book of life. Why? Because of what Jesus did for you. You see how he's trying to remind them? Christ died for you This is your sister in Jesus. You have partnered with me and with her. Remember that? So let's agree in the Lord. He calls them to humble themselves and to to realize too, look, he he says, help these women, true companion, um, another translation, loyal yoke fellow. It's just saying, hey, they are going to need somebody beside themselves. You may have been in a situation like that, that you can't resolve something. You need a mediator. And he's saying, help them. Don't side with them. Don't judge them. Don't become like them. But bring them together. It's interesting. I I read a book last year, probably one of the, it was a challenging book, but one of the more interesting books I read, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And the book was fascinating because he, he, he went through this series of just circumstances and showed how we struggle to really understand people. And he even took some of the best experts, the, the FBI, you know, the premier people who could discern lying, and they did it like 10% of the time. That's not a big success, I think, you know, that we wouldn't really look at that. Maybe in baseball, that's a big success, right? Um, But not in any other sport or in life. 
And so I read this book, and, and really his main point is this. Hey, people, I want you to understand we don't see the person in front of us very well at all. We make so many assumptions and so many errors. And so I think Paul's saying, hey, let's think about what we do agree on, where we are united, and then let's build from there. I just started a book from a man who did a... Um, a conference at my daughter's high school, if it's, uh, it, it seems very promising. Uh, if I get through it and think it is, I, I will help you. It's, a, it's helped the design to help us really listen and understand and talk about difficult subjects. So what do we do? We, we might have a role to play. Maybe you're Eudea and Sintiki. Maybe you're the true companion. Maybe you're someone in the church that's being pushed to maybe take sides with Judea and Syntyche. And Paul says, no, we need, we need to pray. We need to entreat. We need to be a part of bringing them together in the Lord because we have our names written in the book of life. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, this is not the method of the world today. This is countercultural. This is him saying something and and we think, well, then he switches gear. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. I don't think he's just, oh, let me think about this now. Do you think the church is joyful? There's a struggle here. Two leaders are at odds. They're feeling pressure from the outside, and then their ultimate leader, Paul, in one sense, is in prison. So there's a lot of distress and discomfort and and angst and hardship going on in their life. And so he's once again reminding them, and here's the strange thing, commanding them to find their joy in Jesus. That seems odd to us, right? Because joy seems like an emotion. How can I command you to have an emotion? Like, be happy. You be sad. You be glad. Like, we're like, come on, that's not how we work. And yet there's something different as Paul thinks about joy in the Lord that he can command the people. Because there's this, this rootedness, this contentment, no matter what the weather might be or the circumstances might be of our life, that we can find a joy, a contentment in the fact that we are united to Jesus and that we are, have a relationship and communion with Jesus. See, this is something that is a bedrock that no matter how much the earth shakes, no matter how hard the rains are or how powerful the winds are coming your way, you are sheltered in the redemption that is yours in Jesus. And that will not change. It cannot change. Because God himself does not change. Your circumstances are going to ebb and flow, but your joy rooted in Jesus will not. In fact, Luke records Jesus saying, hey, your joy should be that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And what Paul is saying here, we're going to see it a little bit later as he gets to our thoughts, our emotions are impacted by what we think and by what we put into our mind and what we focus our mind on, that we can taste joy even in the midst of suffering. And then he moves to another command. So one commands to have joy. Another commands to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Another translation could be gentle. So the, the struggle with this word is there's not one great English word to summarize it. And if any of you have worked in languages, you know that there's not always a one-to-one -one great uh, comparison. 
Um, it could be your moderation, your forbearance, uh, the idea of not insisting on your own rights and what you deserve. So, again, let's, let's think about what's going on here. The church is struggling. They're anxious. There's threats from the outside. There's fissures and cracks in the church from the leadership down, the temptation to take sides, the temptation to be at odds with each other. He says, hey, hey, I want you to find your joy in Jesus. Remember what I've just told you about in 127 to 4.1. This is how you put this truth into practice. Root your joy in him. I love how one writer said this. He said the joyless person can never be a gentle person. It's interesting, isn't it? The joyless person can never be a gentle person. Why Why would that be? Well, if our, our joy is really based on circumstances, then if we don't have joy, what, what happens? When we're hurting, we usually strike back. We, we kind of reach back out in same measure when someone attacks us. And rather than being gentle or moderate or forbearing, we want to let them know they've hurt us. I'll never forget, I've shared this, but sitting in an office with a man and he said, hey, you pinch me, I'll punch you. And it was true for him. And it might be true for you. Maybe it's just I'll give a pinch back or some way that you're not gentle. See, these things are connected. What does it look like to live a life that is adorning, as beautiful of the gospel? Well, it means being reconciled. It means finding joy in Christ. And it means allowing your life to be known for gentleness. How many of you are known for gentleness, for forbearance, for moderation? That sounds like weakness in today's culture, doesn't it? And it seems interesting, too. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's what, in my mind, what Paul would say. Let, if you were to say, let some emotion be known to everybody, what would it be? Maybe I think Paul would be like, zeal. He's passionate for the gospel. Passion. Right doctrine. What, he says, I want your gentleness to be known. Do you see how this comes back to chapter 2? Your mind should be that of Jesus who was gentle even though he was stricken, smitten, and beaten. Even as he hung on the cross and said, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Even as he hung on the cross and looked at John and said, take care of my mom. Jesus was gentle, forbearing. He's saying, I want you to be like Jesus. The mind of Jesus I've entreated you to have has worked its way out in the peace with relationships and it's peace in your circumstances. And it's an external peace as well as an internal peace. We're going to see that here in a minute. So Paul's challenging them again. Hey, look, instead of being contentious, argumentative, litigious, be willing to submit to maltreatment turn the other cheek, to forgive when sinned against. It sounds so impractical practical to today, doesn't it? What's being modeled is be loud, be aggressive, be mean, be, use your power to assert change. And Jesus says be gentle. 
Think of his commands and his description of the Christian life and the Beatitudes. And Paul here, let everyone know you for your reasonableness, your gentleness. So again, as we're going through these, these are challenges, right? Are you known as a peacemaker? Are you someone who's reconciling with others, who's agreeing in the Lord? That doesn't mean that you agree on everything. There's differences. Paul had differences. But here's within the body of Christ. He's not talking about enemies of the cross. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And so therefore, he says, so I want you to have joy. I'm going to say it again. Find your joy in Jesus. And when you do that, you're going to be able to be gentle as Jesus was. And look why he says you can do this in verse 5. Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now, it's interesting, we were discussing this each week, the staff gets together and we talk about the sermon and the birth passage for the sermon, and we're like, what does it mean that he's near? Is it like Paul's always talking about when Jesus comes again? Is he near in that way, or is he talking about kind of spatially near that he's with us, Emmanuel? And I think the answer is yes, because, because on one part, right before this, he's talking about straining for the goal. Strain to get to heaven, to gain the prize, who's Christ himself, to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Paul's always thinking the day of Jesus coming again is near, and he's like, if that's going to be true, do you see? It's not up to you to be judge and jury and executioner. That's his job. He's coming soon. He's going to bring full, complete justice so you can trust him. But then also, look what we see at the end of this passage, the God of peace is with you. Right? It's both. God is coming. He will make all things new. All sad things will become untrue. And he is with you by his spirit that dwells in you. And he says, my peace I give you as I give you my spirit. See, the next great redemptive event in history is going to be the return of Jesus. So it is near. It may seem far to us, but not to him. So we live daily with that expectation that Christ is coming a bit back you know it made me think of the the parable when jesus was talking about the two men one guy owed this uh, man a lot of money and he went to him and said hey i can't pay he said all right i'll I'll forgive you your debt then he goes out and he's walking down the street and he sees a guy who owes a lesser debt and do you remember what he did he took him by the throat and began to choke him and say pay up and the guy couldn't pay up so he threw him in prison and then the man who forgave the greater debt said what have you done how could you do that when i've forgiven you see when we realize our names are written in the lamb's book of life and that we are called to agree in the lord we don't need to be the exactor of justice and judgment on one another that is god's role not ours we can be gentle and reasonable because the lord is near Now, again, it seems like, well, then he goes to another quick prayer. Lord's at hand, so don't be anxious about anything. But I want you to see how they're connected. So there's a great children's book series. I've mentioned it a number of times called The Chronicles of Narnia. I love this line someone said, they're children's books, but they are not childish thoughts. And so in this book, the Christ figure is the lion Aslan. And Aslan is just powerful and mighty. And in fact, at one point, he's 
compared to the lions in Trafalgar Square. So I haven't been to Trafalgar Square, so what do I do? I, I did a, the next best thing. I got on Google, and I saw the images, and they're, they're huge. I mean, you could put probably six to eight to ten people on the back of this lion that's there in Trafalgar Square. So think about that. The, the idea is when Aslan is with you, you don't need to be afraid. When you're riding the back of Aslan, the king of Narnia, you're not afraid. You can be gentle. You can be joyful because the king is near. So again, I want you to understand how Paul's thinking. I want you to look like Jesus. I want you to have the mind of Jesus. So Eudea and Syntyche, I want you to have the mind of Jesus together. In church, you're going to have to help them do that. And because of the struggles there, I want to remind you, you have to find your joy in Jesus, not in each other, not in agreement, not in anything else but me. And if you find your joy in me, then I, I want you to be gentle and forbearing with one another. I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to be like Jesus. Because the Lord's near to you. Emmanuel, God with us. So when you are anxious, you don't need to be. Now let's be honest, this is probably one of the hardest commands we feel, right? He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Anyone here anxious about anything? Yeah, all of us. Well, here's the good news. You know why he's saying don't be anxious about anything? Because he knew they were anxious, just like we can be anxious. But here's the thing. He's not just saying, just stop it. Just stop being anxious. Has that ever worked when anyone tells you, just don't, don't worry about it. Just stop being anxious. No, usually you then are not gentle, right? <laughs> Who are you to tell me to not be anxious? And you don't have joy. See, things that steal our joy are anxiety and disunity and anger and fear. And so he says and commands us, don't be anxious about anything. But he doesn't stop there. He tells us how to deal with our anxiety. But in everything, and he lists the different ways of praying, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, you might miss that. That's a command. So his commands so far have been rejoice, be gentle, don't be anxious, pray. Make your requests known to God. What's actually going on when we're anxious? Well, a lot of things, but one, what's happening is we're thinking about the things that are out of our control, and we're trying to control them by thinking about them and, and figuring out how can I do something, or oh, I can't really do something, but then we at least have something going on. We often get on these one-loop roller coasters, maybe a couple with a few twists and t turns when there's a lot of things going on, but we get stuck thinking about these things. And what Paul says is, you need to take this into the presence of God. Remember what Jesus said? pray this way, our Father. Who dares wake the king in the middle of the night? His children. We can go to the king of kings. We can go to Aslan and climb on his back and we can say, these are the things that I'm anxious about. And Larson shared this illustration with me is when we're, when we're worried, it's, it's like if you've ever had something in your attic, squirrels or bats, and you hear something up there, and you're like, oh my goodness, what's up there? And, and you picture just a huge infestation. Like, of course, there must be a thousand up there, right? And so what do you need to do? You need to go figure it out. So 
you climb up in the attic and you look to see what's there. And, and maybe it is an infestation, and you're right. Maybe just something fell and it scared you and there's nothing there. Maybe there's one. So she'll often uh, counsel folks who are anxious to say, hey, let's, let's count the bats in the attic. But let's name what is causing us to be anxious. And more than just name it, say, hey, hey Lord, man, I'm really fearful about my job. Lord, I, I'm really anxious about this relationship. Lord, I'm really scared of catching COVID. Lord, I, I'm really afraid of dying alone. Whatever your fear might be or fears, take them to him and say, Lord, this, this is what's on my heart and mind. And it's not because he doesn't know. He already knows. But he wants you to crawl into his lap as a child to his parent and say, this is what I'm afraid of. And for you to experience and know that the Lord is real and near. And then he also adds with thanksgiving, which I think is hard for us to do. Thanksgiving for what? It just doesn't mean some random, you know, I'm thankful for this and thank you for this day. And that's okay. I mean, it's amazing the studies on the brain now that show when you think positively, how it begins to change your brain and how it works. I mean, this is a God-ordained thing. This isn't just science. It's science confirming what Paul's saying is think and give thanks for the way that you are in the Lord and what he's done for you and where he's taking you and one day where you'll be home. So do you see there's this call to trust? See, the joyful person likely isn't going to be dominated by anxiety, and yet the anxiety-ridden person is really not going to be very joyful. Now, I do want to make a caveat. You may do this, and you'll still be anxious. There are other causes for anxiety. There's some physiological. There's some that might be emotional. There's some that might be from trauma. And so I, I do want to tell you, if, if you haven't done this yet, this is a great place to start. But if you are regularly bringing all of your concerns and cares to the Lord, maybe journaling them over a week or two weeks, and man, you're just still being controlled by this anxiety and it's impacting how you live, you probably should go see and get more help and say, let's talk to a psychiatrist, to a physician, to a therapist, because there may be things beyond uh, that need additional care. So I just want to give that caveat. This isn't a simple pray and it'll go away. This is an ongoing bring my concerns to the Lord. And almost for every concern I have, I need to lay them at his feet. And what we can do is speak truth to ourselves, which is essentially what he's telling us in 8 and 9. When he says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, in a lot of ways, these things are talking about what biblical truth is, who God is. So what can you do when you hear that dreaded word, you have cancer, and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? when you actually do get the notice that your job has been removed due to the economic situation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, we can do Christian meditation, Christian mindfulness, which is an ancient tradition. Look what he says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, whatever is just, then here's really kind of what a beautiful life looks like. Whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things because Paul said again and again, how we think impacts how we live. 
And just in case you say, like, that's just too simple, Paul's just, you know, he's not very practical, look what he says next, another command, practice these things. (laughs) Put them into practice. And what, in particular, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. See, he's going back to what he was doing in that main section. Follow godly examples. Not the examples of the world. Let me give you one last picture as we close here. Imagine you had a radio. I heard this from a guy uh, I thought was helpful. You have a radio, and no matter where you try to tune in the station, it only gets one station. And when you tune it, it kind of gets in there, and sometimes it's crystal clear. Other times it's kind of fuzzy. Sometimes it's really blaring and obnoxious. Sometimes it's kind of quiet. It's always blaring late at night, and you can, the on-off switch doesn't work. What would you do with that radio? You would throw it away. You would kick it to the curb. But friends, that's so often how our minds are. We, don't, we dial into the same things, but it's not whatever's true, right, lovely, and noble. It's often garbage. It's often the very antithesis of the gospel. And so Paul goes back again. What are you filling your mind with? Are you communing with the Lord Jesus? Are you finding your delight and your glory in him? So what station are you tuning to during the day? What are you feeding your mind with? Are you allowing your mind to stay on that one-loop roller coaster? Are you focusing on Christ crucified and risen, on the the glories and joys of this God who rescued you and redeemed you, who's going to bring you home? Because as you do that, then you find this unshakable joy that enables you to have peace in your relationships, to find peace in circumstances, to find peace in your inner thoughts. Why? Because the God of peace is with you. And look at verse 7. Again, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I said one last word picture. I want to give you another. Sorry. The guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus, that's a military term. So I want you to understand the Philippians were Roman citizens, but they were out kind of on an island, in essence. They weren't with and right near all of Rome. But they had a garrison. They had a squad of soldiers that protected the city. And so Paul is taking something they knew. You, you know those soldiers that keep our city safe? When you pray to the king of kings, he surrounds you with a garrison, and he will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. And he will give you peace because he is your peace. He will give you himself so you can find joy and so you can be reconciled and you can be gentle and you can think about good things and lovely things and Christ-like things and you can put them into practice. Do you see how Paul's applying all that we've been studying and saying, believers in Jesus, he has come near He has made you his. You can now run after him in freedom and live like him. Don't you want to be known as a peaceful, joyful, gentle, reconciling person? Don't you want to be known as one who lives like Jesus? This isn't a to-do list. This is something that comes from the inside out as he transforms our mind and our heart and our affections. And our affections are changed as we spend time with him. As God's peace reigns in his heart, his praise is going to be on our lips. Listen to what the writer, what Isaiah wrote. 
hundreds of years before Paul did. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed upon you because he trusts in you. Friends, if we're on Aslan's back, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be contentious. He's going to make all things new. And we can be at peace as we live and reflect his glory. Let's pray. Father, you are near. You are the God of peace, and you promise us the peace of God. And I have to be honest, this is challenging to believe that it will be true for us. To not be anxious. (laughs) To be gentle. And not push back. Lord, only by your grace. And yet you promise these things can happen by your spirit through your word. So help us to believe your promises. That you will guard us. That you will give us peace that you will one day make all things new. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.